Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. We have a great conversation lined up today to talk about vocation and marriage and children and, and serving our neighbors with, with one of my favorite guests. I hope you can stick around for that. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for their support of Faith and Family. You can learn more about Concordia University, Wisconsin by going to our website, kfuo.org, and looking for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Joining me by phone today is the wonderful author of He Remembers the Baron and the Anthems of Zion series, Katie Shoreman. Welcome, Katie. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. I've got my book, I've got my coffee, and I am I'm all ready to dig in. I know we have we have a whole bunch of stuff we can talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we just had you on oh a little little while ago, maybe a month and a half or so ago, and and that was it was a wonderful conversation. But I feel like we just like skimmed the surface of of so many of the wonderful topics that are that are in your book. He remembers the Baron. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come back and chat with you some more. I know we we chatted before the interview and after the interview and both wished that we could have had more time to dig in a little bit. Right, right. Well, here's our chance. That's right. Watch out, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So last time I mentioned, um, again, that you have have such a a wonderful um, way of expressing, I feel like, what so many of... So many of us experience every day um, and, and don't really know how to put into words, but but your book and your way of, of expressing um, through written language is, is just a wonderful way for people who are struggling to really, really grasp, I think, what they're feeling and to understand a little bit more um, how to how to manage it and how to work through it. Thank you. I, that's something that uh, has been important to me as a writer. Um, I think sometimes with any craft, whether it's, you know, literature or music or um, the sciences, anything that we apply ourselves to, I think we're always trying to strive for excellence. And in the writing process for me, I found myself trying to be somebody that I wasn't. I think I kept trying to write something that was smarter than I am (laughs) (laughs) or writing something that, um, that I thought people would want to read rather than writing what I knew. And I know it was a, a breakthrough for me as a writer when I finally realized, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to bear my bones. Mm-hmm. I'm going to describe as best I can what these feelings are, uh, what the situation is, what this cross is, this cross of bareness. And it was actually mm-hmm. in writing what actually is, which, which is the theology of the cross. And the theology of the cross, we, we name something what it is. When something is terrible, we call it terrible. <laughs> <laughs> when something is joyful, we call it joyful. Sure. And there's freedom in our Lutheran theology, theology to do that. And so that was very uh, helpful for me as a writer to finally realize, you know, the thing that I can write is the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth means uh, writing about the ugly side of bareness as well as the comforting side. And mm-hmm. so I, I think when I finally uh, realized that I needed to be vulnerable, um, it always as best I can in service to my neighbor. Um, my book is not a venting book. It's not a, a therapy book. It's not, you know, Katie's um, psychosis written out in words, but uh, it's, it's actually my attempt to uh, be honest about the crosses God gives us in our life, hopefully in service to my neighbor. Sure. And that, that honesty really, really comes through. And I think that's, that's why it's such an, an easy thing to relate to, um, whether or not it's something that you're experiencing. It, it, 
it's helpful for both sides, uh, women and couples who are who are dealing with this, but also for people who aren't dealing with it to have a better understanding of how to actually uh, relate to to the people around them that are, because that, that's the reality of it. Even if even if you aren't dealing with it personally, you probably know at least one or two other couples that that are, and that's that's also a difficult relationship to work through. It is, and and even even if you're not barren, even if you have no one in your life that you can recall that um, you know has has not been blessed with the gift of children, I think one of the epiphanies for me when I was writing this book is that you could take out the word barren mm-hmm. and substitute any kind of suffering, any kind of cross that our Lord gives us. And our comfort is so similar because our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. And so his promises are true. They are sure. Our faith responds to those promises. Scripture says they give light to the eyes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, so I think one of the things I realized when I was writing this is that I am writing about barrenness, but really I'm actually writing about the Christian life in Christ and our suffering and what... Um, what is there for us amidst that suffering? And, and the, the ultimate answer to that is that God promises to be with us always, even when we're suffering. And his promises are not necessarily to relieve us from that suffering, but his promises are to get us through it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to cover last time that we that we didn't touch on at all is the cover of, of this book. And it's... Um, I'm a bit of an artist by trade, not, you know, wonderful like like Ed Riojas is in this cover, <laughs> but but um, it, the, there's so much f- great symbology here. And I wanted to touch on the first, the cover of the first book too, because there's um, there's such a stark difference in, in the visual um, language of these two covers. So for our listeners out there um, who obviously can't see what I'm looking at right now in the <laughs> studio... Um, can you describe the, 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 the first cover, the, the cover of the first edition? Sure. So my, the first edition of He Remembers the Baron was published by Lutheran Legacy. And uh, when it came time to choose a cover, Lutheran Legacy, I think, chose it was three or four stock images and sent them to me via email. And I remember opening that email. And, you know, if you look down, you just have these little files you can click on. Mm-hmm. And I, I clicked on a couple and I thought, oh, you know, those are helpful images. Uh, I, I had given a little bit of, um, for lack of a better word, instruction. Not that I was instructing them as to what to choose, but, of course, they asked some input from me as to what, what do you envision on the cover. And I, I had given a few um, ideas that were important to me. Mm-hmm. One was that I wanted there to be a woman on the cover, but I didn't want to see her face. Mm-hmm. Uh I wanted there to be the color green because I think the color green is comforting to me. It's a, a color of life. Um, and I, I wanted it in some way to evoke uh, an emotion that would help the the person who looks at it connect with the material. And I think one of the images that was a possibility was we could see a woman sitting in a pew and looking at kind of the back of her head toward a chancel area in a church. Mm-hmm. And um, it was beautiful and I liked it. Then I clicked on the next image, (laughs) and the image that popped up on my screen, um, I started to cry. Mm -hmm. I had to close it right away, Mm -hmm. and I knew right then I had just seen the cover of my book, and not because, oh, I had this great emotional moment, (laughs) but it was because I I saw myself. Mm -hmm. Um, The the first edition cover is is green. It's it's a, a walkway, a pathway that's that's curving off into the distance, and it's lined by trees, um, and it has green foliage on it. 
but right in the center of the path is a woman. She's not prostrate. She's on her knees, but she is totally folded over onto the ground. Mm -hmm. And um, I think maybe the name of that stock photo image might be depression, if I remember correctly. Um, But what I saw on it was lamentation. Mm -hmm. I saw myself. I saw uh, what what it feels like uh, to cry out to the Lord. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it was so poignant. And... um, Thankfully, the publisher agreed. That was their choice image as well. And here's what I, um, I, I like to say, that cover will always be my first love. <laughs> but Ed Riojas' painting is the perfect marriage yes. for the material of my book. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Let me first by saying uh, that the first cover does evoke strong emotion. And I know some people probably will never read that first edition because of that image. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we suffer in life, uh, one of the ways we as humans have processed it is we've applied what's called the grief cycle mm-hmm. to our suffering. And depending on what stage in that cycle a person may be in, if they're, if they're in the acceptance phase of that cycle, they're probably going to read that book because they're going to look at that image and that's, that's the phase I was in. Um, I looked at that image, I saw myself, and I thought, there's something in this book for me because I, that they pictured me on the front. <laughs> <laughs> but if the person is in the anger phase of grief or denial, maybe even depression, that image probably scares them, maybe even offends them because uh, they don't want to be that person on the cover. Mm-hmm. And so while that first cover evokes strong emotions, it can be polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to describe the second edition cover, Sarah? Because I think I could just tell from the words you used, you're smarter about art than I am. <laughs> how, I, about you, how about you describe it? And then I'll uh, I'll give some commentary. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and I have to say, Ed Riojas is one of my, probably one of my absolute favorite artists that's living right now. Um, he's, he's just fantastic in the way he's able to bring um, liturgy and, and Bible stories and parables to life. It's just, if you if you haven't seen these any of his works, you all of you out there in listener land, you have absolutely have to go find some of his works because they are, they're just wonderful. Um, so this cover, it's, it's this tree um, that is, that is obviously not bearing um, any leaves or anything. It's, it's just, just brown um and and all all around it is is green and in springtime and and obviously there's some sort of um there's there's a there's a problem there um everything is pointing to that tree um that that should be able to bear bear life and it's not um and in in the middle of this tree trunk there's this open um cavern and it's it's it symbolizes a, a womb from what I can tell. Um, and that's, I want to come back to that later because that's one of the things that hit me right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming out of one of the roots of the tree, there's there's this cruciform shape and that shape has life and it's it has branches and it's green and um, it's a shadow from one of those branches is inside of that cavern. And I love that part of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then off of, off of one of the, the barren branches, there's... A nest and it has a, a bird, a mama bird, and and her little bird sitting in it. And that's another thing I want to touch on later because that's that's also just beautiful. So it's this it it and you're right what you said about it perfectly um, encapsulating what what the book is about. And you know maybe something that might be important if if one of the listeners wants to Google or find Ed Riojas as an author, 
um, just type in Edward, E-D-W-A-R-D, and Riojas is spelled R-I-O-J-A-S, and be prepared to be um, struck by the vibrant colors of mm-hmm. the artwork, yes. the striking imagery um, where you can see yourself in the painting, but you're also... Um, not seeing yourself. <laughs> He's really brilliant in his choices. Um, yes. Yeah, so this cover is a barren tree in the height of spring. And uh, I'm in awe of anyone who has mastered any craft. And Ed Riojas as an artist is at a level that I cannot even um, <laughs> aspire to even fully understand everything he's intending when he's painting. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was gracious to somewhat collaborate with Emmanuel Press, who is the publisher of the second edition, as well as myself. And here's how. I, I was blessed to see an early sketch of this cover. And he, um, the tree was it's just as we see it on the cover. Uh, the tree fills the scope of the image. It, it is the center of the image. And it is obviously barren. It is bearing no fruit. There are no leaves on it. And that, that empty uh, hole, that, 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 that womb-like cavernous hole in the middle of the tree, you can't help but see an empty womb in it. And uh, Mr. Riojas is recalling to us the prophecy in Scripture that a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse. In other words, our hope for anyone who is barren in this life because of their sin, who is barren of hope, (laughs) Mm -hmm. our hope is in that shoot, that that Jesus Christ who was born from the line of Jesse. And so there is this shoot that is coming straight out of the stump of this barren tree, and it has grown into a cruciform shape, like you said, Sarah. And um, when when I saw the sketch of it, I just thought, Yes, that's what was missing on the first cover was the hope, mm-hmm. the hope that's in this book. This is not just a book about despair and lamentation. It's a book about the one to whom we lament, the one who um, promises to make all things new, the one who promises to wipe away our every tear and to be near the brokenhearted. And what I love about this cover is while we are struck by the barrenness of the tree, it is not a lifeless tree. It is a tree that has life in Christ. Um, and one thing that I believe Emmanuel Press suggested, and I appreciated this, is they said, you know what, let's make sure that when um, the tree is painted, let's paint it in the height of spring. Let's make sure there are a lot of spring colors around it, um, that that uh, it shows better the state of the tree. And I think that was a really wonderful suggestion, partly because I just think then the, the vibrant blue of the sky and the, the golden green of the grass and then the, the sunshine around it, um, it just, it, it brings out the bareness of the tree. And the thing that I asked for, and again, I'm so grateful to Mr. Rios, he didn't, um, didn't shun the suggestion, as I said, the one other thing that I think might be important uh, is to show vocation. Mm-hmm to show that while um, I am unable to bear the gift of children, and, or as I, as I prefer to confess, the Lord has not blessed me and my husband with the gift of children thus far. Um, he has blessed us with a rich vocation, uh, primarily in supporting other families. Mm-hmm. And so I asked, could there be a, a, a nest that the, that the tree is supporting with some birds in it? And I, I just think his placement of it... Um, is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, your eye is drawn to the cruciform shoot coming out of the stump, 
but then your eye, when it's following the shape of the cross, just goes straight over to that nest of birds. And so when I look at that cover, I'm reminded, yes, I have been given the cross of barrenness, but no, it's not that I have a hopeless life. I have a life of hope in Christ. And look, I even have things to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that was, um, that was something that, that actually I didn't, I didn't quite understand when I first looked at the cover. Um, I noticed the cruciform and I noticed the womb and, and that hit me right away. But, you know, I saw the, I saw the nest, but, but I hadn't, I hadn't had that, the, those thoughts yet of, of even though, um, even though my husband and I don't have any children yet, that doesn't, you know, that, that means that we're more open and we have more resources to help other people. And since, since I've read this book, it's, it's totally shifted the way that I've um, approached uh, commitments and conversations with people and, and things at church and, and that kind of thing. And that's that's a beautiful thing, I think. Thank you. I think it's comforting, isn't it? Yes. Um, maybe what's difficult about it still is that it's not that we still don't yearn for the gift of children, mm-hmm. right, Sarah? Like, right. That's the cross side of it. Our, our barrenness is never a good thing. Um, it is a fruit, um, a result of sin in the world, the brokenness of the flesh, the brokenness of the world. And so barrenness is never a good thing. But in Christ, we have the promise that God still works all things for our good. And mm-hmm. so while barrenness is never good, um, our Lord still gives us good gifts. And in our barrenness, we do have certain freedom to serve our neighbors in ways that maybe we wouldn't be able to if we had little neighbors in our home. And so, Sarah, I just want to ask you, mm-hmm. as you've been pondering this and as you've been reflecting on um, your vocation as a wife, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a radio host, what, <laughs> what are some um, ways can you tell when you look around at your life and you look at the people that God has put in your life, what, what's your vocation? Who, who do you serve? Who do you have time to serve in your life? Sure. I think one of the biggest groups, I mean, my husband, obviously, um, as a wife, um, I've, I've noticed, um, you know, just putting, putting a little bit more effort, putting a little bit more time. Like I don't, I don't have to deal with, or I don't have to care for, children. So I will care for my husband and I will make sure he's, he's fed when he comes home from work and he's happy and and his clothes are washed on the weekends and and that kind of thing. Um, but I think a a larger group is, is at my church. There's a, there's a lot of families with a lot of children at church and being able to identify, um, ways that, that I'm able to do things for them at church so that they can more fully, um, receive God's gifts during a service, you know, helping wrangle children or helping watch the children so they can, they have that time also. Um, you know, it's, I think that's, that's probably the, the, the group that I've noticed, um, a, a bigger shift in my way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, I think one thing, uh, maybe Baroness gives opportunity for is that you, um, you you can die if you stare at your navel all day <laughs> because when we look at our navel we see our empty wombs mm-hmm. you know and um so with our lord's help we peel our eyes from our own navel and we look at the people around us and we realize we are mothers in the church we are mothers in the faith mm-hmm. we say amen at every baptism and those are the children we care for mm-hmm. and um you know for me uh, and this, again, points back to the beauty of this cover of mm-hmm. the book. Um, while those birds are wonderful, <laughs> and while they make music in our lives, and we get to, you know, nestle them, we get to protect them, we get to support them, we're still a barren tree, and it's still awful. 
Um, and so sometimes I notice in my vocation, when I, when, let's say, just like you were talking about, when I come to church, um, sometimes I can feel that I get really stressed or anxious right before vacation Bible school <laughs> or before the Christmas Eve family service. And um, I'm usually very involved in both of those activities in our church. And it's taken me several years to, to realize that part of my anxiety is my grief, mm-hmm. that um, none of those children are my children, mm-hmm. but um, they all are mine in the faith. And I have found that one of the most comforting things in my vocation to do is to actually um, get down and get to know those children, love them, because their love for me is so wonderful. And suddenly then when I go to vacation Bible school or I'm, you know, going to this family service, it's so much easier to go in and not think about my children who aren't there. It's actually so much easier to then think of the children who are there because mm-hmm. because they're mine. They're, they love me and I love them and we're bonded to each other. And I think that is one of the things in our barrenness that is the hardest thing to do is to love other people's children but I also think it is one of the most healing and rewarding things to do. It's not that we'll never be sad about our own children not being there, but boy, it makes it worthwhile to be there when you love the children who are. <laughs> sure, sure. And and my my brother and my sister in law have been blessed with um, with a newest addition. So they they have four children right now, um, and they they finally had a little girl, and I'm I'm just Aww. like over the moon that that. <laughs> I have a little niece now, and 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 my you husband have an and Auntie Sarah. Yes, I am Auntie Sarah. It's <laughs> it's it's one of the the best things in the world to have to have little 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 children that that you know call you aunt and that that you know you can video chat with, and they're all excited to see you. And and my husband and I have talked about um, how we're able to um, be there for those children and and maybe give them you know a, a special gift or something that that their parents may not be able to to give them because, you know, we, we have the resources for that kind of thing. And that's, that's something else that's, it's just kind of, it's, you're right. It, 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 it's a wonderful thing. Um, but it's still, you know, there's still that, that, that voice in the back of your head that reminds you that, that these aren't yours. Yeah. And you know what, isn't it a blessing too, to realize when we stare at those children, we have a special viewpoint. Mm-hmm. When we're the barren tree, we don't just look at the baby birds. We're seeing the mother bird, too. Mm-hmm. We're holding the entire nest in our limbs. And what an opportunity it is to serve not just the children, but the parents of those children. Right. And something I've learned in my barrenness is that actually I think that is one of my primary vocations is to look at the mom and the dad and try to support them, whether that be reinforcing their parenting, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, understanding their family dynamic and then trying to be a part of that in a way that supports them, uh, whether it be trying to give them a break when they need a break, um, whether that be just be a listening shoulder because parenting is obviously ongoing and mm-hmm. it's stressful and parents cannot do it on their own and we get to help them. And as you were just saying, it's still painful because we carry a cross. Mm-hmm. Um, vocation does not substitute, you know, the fact that our Lord spoke the blessing of children over marriage. And therefore, our, our vocation in supporting these parents doesn't take away the sting of the fact that God has not blessed us in such a way. Mm-hmm. But um, we do get to help and we do get to support. And um, I, I think in my barrenness, I'm most struck by the fact that you know, our Lord speaks about the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and we are a part of that body. 
we have a family, um, and it's a family of many members, and we are not an insignificant part of it. We're just one little part, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we all get to live life together. Each generation, male and female, child, parent, aunt, <laughs> grandparent, mm-hmm. pastor, teacher, all of us together. And I do think that my easiest times in my years of barrenness have been times when I my life is rich with activity surrounding that body of Christ. Sure, yeah. And I think that also um, ties in with the cruciform with the cruciform shape that's on, on the cover. That's, that's our, our identity in Christ. Right. <laughs> and see, aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed because while we have the sadness, it's not that we don't have an answer to that sadness. And I don't mean an answer that obliterates the sadness. I mean that we're not people who grieve with no hope. <laughs> our, our hope has never been of this world, even if we had been blessed with children. Um, our, our hope is in the one who took on flesh for our sake. You know, our hope is in the one who took our sins upon himself and bore them on the cross and was forsaken by the heavenly father that we might never be forsaken ourselves. And so even in our deepest darkness, even in our deepest sadness, when our children die in our womb, when, um, our children are no more, when our children have never been, even when we are, are, staring in the face the discipline of our Lord where he has not blessed us in this way that, that, um, that he said is very good. <laughs> when we're staring at that, at the same time, we know with assurance that we are not hopeless because our life does not end with our womb. Our life is actually never ending. Thanks be to God for the eternal life we have in his son who not only died on the cross but is risen from the dead. And so... We in Christ have hope, even though our children die. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and uh, we we're almost time to go into our break, but I wanted to just um, preview what's going. What we're going to talk about on the other side of the break um, is is experiencing this um, as a couple. This is something that uh, so often um, it's it's such an internalized thing that. Um, that as a wife, you know, it's like, oh, well, this is this is my body and it's my issue, but but it's it's not. It's something that that a couple has to experience together. Mm-hmm. That's right. We are one flesh. It doesn't really matter which body is missing whatever part or not doing something correctly. Uh, we are one flesh in marriage, and so we are barren together. Exactly. Exactly. And and um, how can how can uh, a wife and a husband um, work through this issue together. I think it's important. Um, I think it's important to keep it in perspective, which is every marriage, uh, every man and wife, are going to have crosses. <laughs> uh, they take many different shapes and forms. Um, ours, at this point, is barrenness. Um, some of our dear friends is that they they have ample fertility and they are caring for a lot of children. And uh, there's just a lot of stress and activity on their um, on their family. They're stressed financially. They're stressed emotionally. Um, they're stressed socially. And uh, you know I, what I have found to be similar in both of our situations is that these crosses can be very heavy to bear on our own. But we have been given a mate who helps bear that cross with us. And that mate doesn't just um, 
help carry the cross, that mate speaks the objective word of God to us when we need to hear it most, that that spouse reminds us that um, our hope is not in each other. Our hope is not in physical relief from our cross. Our hope is in believing the promise that God has spoken to us. And so that spouse is there to speak that promise over and over again. And I think that whether you're barren or whether you're not, that same, that vocation is the same in marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, We support each other and we preach to each other. We preach the law when we need to hear it and we preach the gospel always in service to the other. And so I think that um, is the, the best way to support each other in your barrenness. And sometimes, Sarah, sometimes that means speaking a hard thing, which is, no, honey, I don't think we can do that medical procedure mm-hmm. because it can break, you know, um, it, it can break our faith. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and sometimes it's speaking the word of comfort, as my husband has said to me several times, in my grief, I've looked at him and said, I'm so sorry I have not given you children. And he looks at me and he says, honey, you can't. Mm-hmm. That's not your gift to give. Mm-hmm. God is the one who gives the gift of children. And that's such a comforting thing to be reminded of because it is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, sure. And a lot of times, um, you know, we we pledge to each other in, in sickness and in health, but mm-hmm. but this isn't necessarily something that a couple will go into a marriage um, expecting. And that can be hard. I think it's really, this is maybe where it's helpful in our church that we start talking about it more for the sake of our pastors, because I think probably the most appropriate time to talk about these things are, first of all, in confirmation. Uh, not that we want to instill a fear of barrenness in youth, um, but when we're talking about our first article gifts, we're talking about how God gives us our daily bread, you know, it's a good opportunity to talk about ways that sin affects those first article gifts. And, and one of those things can be that, you know, you may not be blessed with the gift of children when you're married. And that just, um, first of all, helps the youth understand barrenness when they see it in the pews. Mm-hmm. Um, it also helps them not be so afraid of it. Um, it's not anathema. It's just a reality sometimes. But then also, when that youth grows up, becomes engaged, and goes into pastoral counseling, they're mindful of it. And the pastor then can, again, build on top of that and remind them, you know, one of the purposes, one of the blessings that God has spoken over marriage is the gift of children. And Mm -hmm. so it's a good chance to talk about what it means to receive that gift, but then also what what to do or or how to process it if God does not give that gift. And, And then that also opens up the conversation so that if that should happen, the couple knows, oh, my pastor talked to me about this. I could probably go talk to him some more about it. And I think that's just fostering that healthy um, pastoral counseling relationship. Um, because that's the other thing in marriage, you know, um, sometimes we need help outside of us. We need smarter people than us. We need pastors to help us process uh, theological, you know, the tentatio of the situation, the, mm-hmm. the struggle. And also we need some help sometimes from our medical doctors. Um, and God serves us through that vocation as well. Sure, sure. And it's time for us to take our our break. So on on the other side of this break, we'll pick up we'll pick up right there about about processing these gifts and and uh, working through this with a pastor. We'll be right back.
Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee, with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Anyone can say they value life, but can they live it? A woman in Lima, Peru, found her suspicions were true. Her husband had been having an affair. He came to her crying and said his girlfriend had just given birth but didn't want the child. The man asked his wife if she would take him. Her response was immediate. Sure, give him to me. She met the woman at a park and was handed a three-day-old infant. He felt like her son the moment she held him. The marriage failed within months, but she still has the boy. He's 16 years old now. Sometimes God blesses our lives in very unexpected ways. Even when the baby is conceived in tough situations, God still has a plan and untold blessings in store. Just follow his will. For more information, visit our website at lifeissues.org. And stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join me over the weekday noon hour for Moments of Assurance, your lunchtime spiritual recipe. You'll enjoy encouraging scriptures, a bit of Bible history and trivia, news items, humor, the kids' corner, and more, all mixed in with faith-strengthening sacred music, a blend just right for your midday hour. So join me, won't you? That's Moments of Assurance over the weekday noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. My son Aiden has asthma. Secondhand smoke has triggered his asthma so badly, he ended up in the emergency room and spent multiple nights in intensive care. Now he's on a whole bunch of medications. My tip to you is, don't be shy about telling people not to smoke around your kids. Half of U.S. kids are exposed to secondhand smoke. If you or someone you know wants help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. This summer, consider a gift to Worldwide KFUO that pays you back. A charitable gift annuity provides both lifetime cash payments and makes a legacy gift to Worldwide KFUO. Since gift annuity payout rates are based on age, this way of giving is attractive to listeners 65 years or older. If you have questions about gift annuities or would like to have a personal illustration, call Mary at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions about gift annuities and how you can establish a legacy of giving to Worldwide KFUO. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would, of course, prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. 
Hi, I'm Mary Schmidt, Manager of Development for Worldwide KFUO. And I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, Donor Care Specialist for the station. We want to tell you how happy we are that you're listening and being blessed daily on Worldwide KFUO. If you would like to become a day sponsor or simply give a gift to our listener-supported ministry, call me, 314-996-1518. Or call me, 314-996-1520. And you'll find the Give Now button at kfuo.org. Welcome back to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're in the middle of a wonderful conversation with author Katie Shurman. And Katie, I'm so happy that you're spending your Monday morning with me. It's it's just about one of the best ways that I could be spending a Monday morning in the studio. Oh, Sarah, <laughs> we should spend every Monday morning together. <laughs> that that would be a lot. That would be really great, actually. <laughs> no, thank you for this opportunity. I'm loving it too. Thank you. That's that's wonderful. So, so before we went to break, we were talking about um, couples and how couples experience barrenness and um, and miscarriages and and how how they can help each other through through that process, but also how um, how a pastor can help. And and so, Katie, how how does a couple go about um, just bringing this up to their pastor? Well, first of all, a good thing to keep in mind is that no one is perfect, including our pastors. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we can have an expectation that our pastor make everything better. And honestly, that's just not something the pastor is going to be able to do because our Lord has given us this cross. The pastor can't take it off of your shoulders. Mm -hmm. But what he can do is he can speak God's word to you. And so what I recommend is that you be as honest with your pastor as you can. And I also recommend, if it's possible, that both the husband and wife go talk to the pastor together. And again, it's not that it's not ever appropriate for the wife to go by herself or the husband to go by himself. It's just that barrenness is a one flesh issue. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we may be in a season of our marriage where we're frustrated with our spouse or maybe we don't agree or maybe we're not in agreement on a choice that's being made. Um, And I think the benefit of going and talking together is that you're both hearing the same word. You're both um, practicing respect of each other Mm -hmm. by, you know, talking to a third party. Um, And I just think it helps to not breed discontent Mm -hmm. um, if you can go together. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and I'm not saying you're going to end each session happy or feeling better, but it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to talk this stuff out. It's a good thing to talk to your pastor. And honestly, you might need to talk to him more than once because you might be bringing questions he has never considered before. And so if that's the case, please be patient with him and give him time. Maybe schedule another appointment on another day so he can have some time to look up some information. Maybe he needs to look up some medical procedures. Maybe he needs to talk to a doctor um, so he can better understand what's going on. And honestly, maybe sometimes he just needs to spend some time in God's Word applying the cross of barrenness, you know. Um, Or I guess maybe the better way to say it is applying Scripture, God's Word, and His promises to the cross of barrenness. And if it's the first time he's done that, you know, he might be learning right alongside of you. And so I think it's first uh, first of all important to um, engage him, you know, ask for his help. If you can, as husband and wife, go talk to him together. And then patiently bear with each other in love as you, you know, as you talk through these difficult things and as you learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And and something that you you just mentioned is is not being on the same page um, when when couples are dealing with this. It uh, there 
there are there are ethical issues, quite honestly, about um, scientific procedures and and things that that one person may want to do that the other one just doesn't feel right about. And and you're right, a pastor may not have have dealt with those things before, and that and that 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 becomes a, a bigger thing to to really work through. It can, and and one one common problem for barren couples is impatience because, <laughs> you know, we feel, you know, the clock ticking mm-hmm. and we want answers now. We want to, you know, we're on a monthly cycle here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need answers. We, you know, the passage of time is, is a, a brutal, cruel thing for a barren couple. Um, I also think another thing to keep in mind is that uh, your pastor's vocation is to, is to preach the word to you and to protect the mysteries of God, you know, to to give you the body and blood of Christ and to hear your confessions, mm-hmm. you know, and to speak uh, the word of absolution to you. And his job is also to pray for you. And one of the benefits of telling your pastor about this is so that he can be praying for you. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to remember, too, is when we, yeah, I've heard it put before, when you marry your spouse, you're actually marrying a, into a family. You're marrying a mm-hmm. family. And sometimes our different family cultures really come out in these issues that surround barrenness, whether it's the issue of should we engage this procedure or not. Mm-hmm. Sometimes our different family cultures uh, make us feel more pressure one way or another. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes when it comes to the question of adoption, maybe some family cultures are more open to that than others. And so there, there's a lot to work through. <laughs> sure, yeah. In, uh, in a barren marriage. And um, I think patience, persistence, prayer, I don't mean to be saying all P words, but I seem to be. <laughs> and pastor. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so still, still on the subject of of a barren couple um, interacting with with church. Um, you know, this isn't something that just kind of casually comes up over over coffee hour. Um, <laughs> usually, I think. Um, but having having a support system within your congregation, I would would be something that would be very, um, very good for a couple to have. But how does, how does that, how does that come up? Well, I'm going to say something pretty scandalous. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think that one of the best ways that a church body can support a barren couple is by being in their life. That means talking to them more than just at coffee hour. Mm-hmm. Coffee hour is probably not the best time to talk about these things. If that's the only time you're seeing that couple, then your relationship is probably not of such that you would be having these kinds of conversations. Sure. <laughs> and if you want to ask them questions, it might, you know, ask yourself, am I, am I doing it more to answer my own curiosity? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or is it because I want to serve these people? If it's to serve them, then probably the coffee hour is not the best time to ask them about their uterus and their, <laughs> you know, sure. testicles. Right. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Though it is done often, let me just tell Mm -hmm. you. Um, So I think actually one of the best ways uh, a church body can support a barren couple is by knowing them, by getting to know them beyond coffee time, by um, sharing meals with them, by sharing activities with them. And when you do that, you're going to get to view their marriage up close. You're going to get to view their home. You're going to see what bothers them, what doesn't. In other words, you're going to know them well enough to know what their struggle is. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they're content. Maybe God has given them faith, which trusts in his promises, and they're, they're, they're okay with their barrenness. Okay meaning they're, they're living the vocation God has given them. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then as a church, we support them by 
enabling them to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's different. Maybe they're incredibly sad over the matter, um, at which point they probably need a chance to talk about their sadness. And here comes the really hard, scandalous thing. Sometimes the best thing a church body can do is simply listen mm-hmm. to a barren couple mm-hmm. when they are ready to talk. And it is so hard to listen to somebody who is sad. It is so hard to hear somebody talk about not being able to have children, especially when the Internet tells you, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Especially when the magazine that you just read at the nail salon says, Mm -hmm. oh, so-and-so had a baby by doing this procedure. It's so hard to listen and bear with somebody who's sad when we think we have an answer to what we perceive to be their problem. Mm -hmm. But children are a gift from the Lord, which means our Lord gives and doesn't give the gift of children. And no barren couple can give themselves the gift of children through conception or adoption apart from our Lord's gracious giving. And so it is a terribly difficult thing to do to listen to somebody talk about something that we think can be solved by a medical procedure. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that those medical procedures don't and sometimes help aid in conception. I'm not saying that there aren't agencies out there that have been successful in helping other people adopt children. What I'm saying is that unless our Lord gives those gifts to this particular couple, they will not be given the gift of children. And so to listen to the couple is to bear their cross, Mm -hmm. to um, be uncomfortable with them. To, to squeeze our gut and say, I so badly want to tell you to take cinnamon supplements. <laughs> <laughs> to feel that way but not to say it is a tremendous act of love mm-hmm. because usually the barren couple has a doctor already. Usually the barren couple has the exact same access to the Internet that we do. Usually the barren couple has a pastor they can go to, has family to support them. In other words, usually the barren couple is in a position to be just as informed as everybody else. Mm -hmm. But what they are not able to do is to bear their grief on their own. And so it is a loving thing to listen. And it is a loving thing to choose to be uncomfortable and to let that unanswerable silence (laughs) reign. Mm -hmm. And then to just be with them. Because here's what's happening when the church does that. The church is a mask of God in that moment. The church is reminding the barren couple, yes, the Lord is with you, and I will remind you by being with you myself. We remind each other of God's promises, not only through our words that we preach to each other, but when we live out faith in those promises. And when the church can have faith that God will love and care for and forgive and provide for this barren couple, even in this sad moment, when we can live that out by just being with them and listening to them, that strengthens, it reminds the barren couple of God's promise and helps them, I I, I believe, helps them uh, see God in a good and gracious way. Mm. I I am reminded that God is, uh, let me put it this way, it's a whole lot easier for me to remember that God is with me when the body of Christ is with me as well. Um, I've, I've noticed when barren couples feel like they don't have support in their congregation, and by support I mean people who will just live life alongside of them, even when it's hard. I find those are the couples that sometimes are also struggling with whether or not God is with them, too. Mm-hmm. And so we can remind each other by our own presence that God is, is present with them in their grief. And uh, 
that is a scandalously <laughs> simple difficult thing to do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something that uh, it's, you're right. It's, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to not want to fix what's, what, what you feel is wrong with other people. Yeah. And, and a lot of that is, uh, is a lot of a reflection on, on what you also feel um, is wrong with your own life that maybe if you can help some, if you can help fix somebody else, maybe, maybe that means you can help fix yourself too. That's, exactly. It's Sarah. scary. Exactly. In fact, <laughs> I would say that a lot of times the advice we give to each other is us projecting our own expectations, our own order of life onto somebody else's chaos. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that that is never helpful. Because I think there are times that it is helpful. And I think there are times when there are wise people who recognize problems that we have and can actually give us very good (laughs) advice for those things. But Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the time in situations like this, in situations where we don't really actually have control, we want people to have control. So we tell them that. Mm -hmm. It's (laughs) scary when you you recognize that, that... that there are things that are out of our control. (laughs) And I think that's why barrenness is terrifying for Mm -hmm. people is we, we're looking into, we're looking at an icon of, um, we're looking at a painting, an active still life painting Mm -hmm. that reminds us, I don't think we actually have control over that. Mm -hmm. And that is terrifying. Sure. And that's, that's so prevalent in our culture too. It's not just, that's not just a a barrenness thing. That's, that's a, that's a full holistic life kind of thing that, that, um, you know, if, if you work hard enough, if you, if you really believe in yourself, you can achieve anything. But when, when in reality, that's, that's just not true. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And how does, uh, how does that that um, permeate into into uh, adoption, really? Because that's um, I feel like adoption is is one of those things that a lot of times um, when you when you aren't able to physically conceive, um, that's that's just like the next best thing. Like, right. oh, I can't I can't have a child, but I'll just go get one in adoption when when it doesn't work that way. And sometimes there's even the pressure of you know. Um, well, if you're barren and you're not trying to adopt, then then you don't really want to have children. Mm-hmm. Or um, if I'm looking at a barren couple and they've never told me about their adoption story, you know, I, I, I can't help but judge them sometimes. Like, there are all these children who need homes. You know, shame on you. You're, you're the perfect person mm-hmm. to adopt. And it's so interesting. I don't know where that came about because actually... If we look at the barren couple, we don't have proof that God wants them to be parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, if we're just looking at them, we have the opposite proof. Whereas when we look at other couples who've been blessed with the gift of children through conception, we know God wills for them to be parents. And so it's strange that we assume the barren should adopt rather than the ones who um, are fecund. You know, it's it's so interesting how that um, has happened. But I think it's because it makes sense to us and our human reason that those who have not been blessed with children through the gift of conception, um, they have space and time for more children. Mm-hmm. So they should adopt. But, but I think that's human reason, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's how God speaks about adoption in his word. Um, is it okay for me to quote an article on the air? Is that okay? Sure. Um, in Christianity Today, I believe it was the May 2017 issue, um, a gentleman wrote an article um, why the church needs the infertile couple. And here, here's a quote about exactly what we're talking about. He writes, the general, and I'm sorry, I should probably say the author is, is Matthew Anderson, the gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> he writes, quote, 
the general exhortation to love one's neighbor may sometimes require a couple to adopt, but sometimes it may not. Infertility does not on its own make adoption obligatory. In fact, infertile couples might be uniquely at risk of treating adopted children as a means of fulfilling their own frustrated desires for a biological child, reducing them to an instrument of the parent's happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, end of quote. Uh, That is not to say that God never calls barren couples to adopt children. Um, I'm really blessed that we have adopted children in our own family that are my my nieces and my nephew. Mm -hmm. And... uh, but we do not have a clear word from God that he's going to call every barren couple to adopt. And so it's kind of a, a law of man when we project that onto one faction of society and assume that that's true for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes, uh, the truth is that sometimes, you know, our Lord just does not call some barren couples to be parents. He's called them to other vocations. Mm-hmm. He's always calling married couples to be parents, just not necessarily of their own children. Mm-hmm. You and I talked earlier about some of those vocational ways that we parent other people's children, um, and that's in service to those families and in support of them. And that is a busy, full vocation all on mm-hmm. its own. Um, sometimes God does call barren couples to uh, adopt children or to foster children, but sometimes he doesn't. And sometimes, and this is part of where we want maybe in service to the barren couple, want to be careful about how we speak about it. Um, Sometimes there are barren couples who want nothing more than to adopt children, but God has not given them that gift. Sure. Um, sometimes that's because of health reasons that they are unable to adopt or foster. Um, sometimes that is for financial reasons. Sure. Um, sometimes it's for legal reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes we just have uh, situations of our, our marriage or our home life where legally we're not you know, able to do that. Sure. And you know, we're going to have to pick this up on another episode. (laughs) We are all out of time. Um, Katie, it's been such a pleasure having you you on, on Faith and Family today. Thank you, Sarah. I've enjoyed it too. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at kfuo.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.